Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I am your host as always, Steve Hall, and I am joined today by Jake Reed. I'm very happy to have Jake on the podcast. Uh, some of you may recognize him as I know we have a lot of RP uh, loyal followers and he has done some excellent work for RP and over on RP Plus, and that's something that we'll be digging in today. But for those of you who don't know Jake, um, he has a PhD in sports performance, master's degree in health and sports science, bachelor's of arts in exercise science, and is NSCA CSCS certified. So um, obviously has a great background of education. He's also the assistant professor at the University of North o Iowa. I can't even say, <laughs> was that right? You yep, nodded. Northern Iowa. Yep. <laughs> Iowa. That's good. I, I, uh, I think it's the, the English in me is like, how is this a, this a word? I'm trying to like work it out. And we have all <laughs> our old British like towns and um, like road names and everything like that. Uh, so Anything else you'd like to include? That obviously an RP coach as well. Mm -hmm. No, I think you covered the gamut really well. It's yeah, that's about it. <laughs> cool. And something that Jake has been fantastic at kind of spreading information about this. And I think a lot of the people listening here are either kind of coaches themselves and they have clients. Maybe they work with them online. Uh, I, we work primarily with people online at Revive Stronger and obviously Renaissance Periodization do as well. Um, and then even as a athlete yourself and someone specifically what we're going to talk about today is like physique, body composition change, muscle gain, fat loss. Data collection is pivotal. Kind of, I always think of it like it's almost like a map. And if you without that, you just have no idea where you're going. Um, and something we're going to talk about. Well, what we're going to dig into now is basically what data can do for us. What data should we be collecting? Um, and then sometimes whether data can be too much. If some kind of things that some people may be tracking and thinking is important, maybe isn't. So I don't know if you want to kind of um, touch on some of the things you think for body composition change are important to track um, and then kind of how and why. Uh, for body composition, there's kind of two most important things that we always talk about. It's, is your body weight changing? Of course. So having a reliable scale, measuring it at the same time of the day, every single day. Uh, and then what's the mirror telling? Because there will be some clients, and I'm sure you've had experience with it as well, that maybe their body weight isn't decreasing as much as they would like. But then they email you and say, oh, my, in the mirror, everything looks totally different, getting these compliments and that kind of stuff. And while that's not really exactly totally easy to quantify, unless you're doing actual literal measurements, but those take a lot of time, um, it is an added a piece to the puzzle when we're talking about um, all kinds of athlete monitoring. And that really is. Um, an essential component. We have these quantitative and qualitative. So we're just touching on obviously for body composition, weight and how you're looking are two of the most important variables, uh, obviously. And obviously you talked about calories and we're tracking those as well, I assume. Um, in terms of training, what are some key variables that you potentially look at there? Because I guess when we're looking for body composition, fat loss is the goal, not muscle loss. And so sometimes we might be able to see some things going on within the training there. Mm -hmm. uh, training from the body composition standpoint, you know, I think it comes down to, and correct me if I'm um, mistaking the question, um, that we're still hitting the numbers that we're supposed to be hitting in the weight room. Um, and we might be seeing our body composition change in the positive, you know, the, the fat is being lost. Um, 
body weight is going down and we start to see things like our um we hit we have a uh, load on squat for example that we're supposed to be able to nail for 10 no problem it's in our history we know that it's there and then um you know we have a day and maybe we're only able to get eight and that's you know you might question oh it's only eight what's going on maybe it's just because i'm tired and then you go back to the next time you do that same workout, if it's in the same phase and you nail your 10 again, it might be as simple as just, you had an off day. And when, and especially you hit that 10, that second time, and then you go back to the workout, you know, three days after, after that eight and you're getting your 10, your numbers are back. It might've been sleep. It might've been a bunch of other factors that go into it. And so when we're looking at that, it's, is my expected progression following the reality? And if it is, fantastic, but it's never going to be linear. It's always going to do something like this in terms of body weight, right? And hopefully our performance stays stable. We might have a day it's a little bit subpar and then, oh, well, we come back and we're, we're back right back to where we expect to be. Um, and that's really what it is, is when we see these numbers and we're tracking everything, we understand that it's just that single snapshot of the day. And that when we get into the next workout, you know what, we've done everything we're supposed to and we're going to knock it out of the park. Absolutely. And I think um, part of what you talked about there is obviously there's fluctuations and then you're looking at, I guess, the linear or rather not, it's not going to be linear, but the long-term trend and seeing what mm -hmm. direction that's going in and taking kind of a bird's eye view perspective with, I guess, fat loss versus muscle gain is, do you have a different kind of time scale you're maybe looking at and making judgment calls at? Um, it'll depend on the individual and their objective at the time. Um, if somebody's on a muscle gain phase, uh, you should probably expect numbers to go up, especially really quickly coming off of a fat loss phase because they're now they're going to have glycogen in their muscles. They're going to be feeling fresh. They're going to have actual like quantities of food and a surplus of food, food, hopefully. And so those numbers should be going up pretty quick in all reality. And but we also want the body weight to go up appropriately you know you don't want body weight to skyrocket initially because now you're in too big of a surplus and you risk putting on excess fat and so it's it's that it's that balance between having that surplus to uh, attain the physique objective but also enough so that you can actually provide the stimulus necessary uh to improve muscle mass and if that's you know maybe your normal is 10 on the squat and then you hit uh, 11 and you're consistently at 11 guess that that's that's more than where you were and that's the kind of small change that it might be over time you know as you well know it takes a heck of a lot of time and very small changes that accumulate over time to see these positive improvements for the cutting individual um and again obviously it does depend but it generally takes, at least my experience with clients, uh, kind of a lot longer to see these serious changes in performance. They might be at week 10 or 11 in a cut and out of a 12-week cycle that now they're starting to say, my perform I'm incredibly fatigued, the numbers are starting to drop, um, and they're consistently starting to drop. Um, and that's if somebody has actually been doing everything they're supposed to be doing the entire time the the client that comes in and they maybe they have a, an accidental cheat meal they go to a wedding or something along those lines once every four weeks 
generally speaking, they don't experience a lot of that same fatigue because they are doing a little bit of refeeding, but they're also not experiencing the goals, the body composition changes that they're looking for. Um, and so it is that kind of balance. Whereas if you have somebody that comes in in the first week, they're just shot and they have no work capacity and everything's gone. Um, you might want to rethink what you're programming. Um, but also what kind of other factors are going into it? Uh, what kind of sleep, what kind of, um, life stress, um, from all kinds of angles that it could be, um, all of it plays a role. Um, for me personally, I like to look at the objective measures as well as the subjective. But when we have something that's truly objective in nature, like reps per set at given loads, you know, it's a that's big RP thing, right? MRV, MEV, that whole gamut. Um, it really does tell a story. And when you start to see an individual and their sets drop just a little bit over time from week to week to week, that's pretty normal. And then as soon as if this is their normal um, expected drop, and then all of a sudden it starts plummeting deeper and deeper, like maybe they're hitting a 12, and then they go 11, 10, 9, 9, something like that. And then they go a 12, 8, 6, 4. All right, we, we know there's very likely to be glycogen depletion there. And then it comes time to start incorporating other kinds of strategies. I really like the idea of actually where you mentioned that uh, other things outside of maybe just the dieting in terms of like sleep and stress do you have like i guess measuring those objectively maybe you can objectively measure number of hours of sleep uh, but with stress how do you go about kind of collecting that data or how as a kind of athlete would you recommend people might go about monitoring that and kind of getting insights from that that's a great question that's actually my personal um passion is that kind of stuff uh is the subjective questionnaires personally um they're actually quite easy to implement uh and there's a decent amount of literature out there actually to suggest what you should be asking and kind of how you should be asking it you know what a key one is uh, sleep quality asking how good was your sleep isn't exactly descriptive enough and it might not their answer might not truly um be the quality of sleep. Whereas if you phrase it as, um, how difficult was it for you to fall and stay asleep? That gives a better indicator of quality of sleep. And so you simply ask difficulty of to fall and stay asleep from a zero to a five, five being extremely difficult, zero being not at all, three being moderate, you know, fill in the rest. There you go. And then you can see over time how that progresses. Um, sleep hours, that one's incredibly easy like you just talked about with actually just getting total hours. Um, I've even had some scenarios where it's uh, 4 to 6, 6 to 8, 8 to 10, 10 to 12 because sometimes you're like, I don't know when I actually fell asleep. Yeah. And so that kind of range, it helps. And in all reality, it's you know 6 to 8, 8 to 12, depending on the individual it might the six to eight might be okay. Four to six might be okay for some. I've got two kids. One's a month old. I'm really happy with four to six hours of sleep. So it's it, it is dependent on that person. Um, other things asking about um, desire to train. Uh, that's kind of a big one because our uh, desire, our perceptions going into the training, the dread of training, can actually influence our performance. Um, 
there's a really fascinating book. It's on endurance training, but it still provides some really interesting insight um, by uh, Alex Hutchinson called Endure. And it gets into a lot of the physiology, but it also touches on the psychology and our beliefs and what we think and what we believe we're capable of pushing ourselves to can play a huge role. So if you go into a workout thinking, I don't want to be here, it's going to be awful, it becomes really hard to develop that drive to get going. And if you see it, that your desire to train continues to drop and drop and drop, maybe then it becomes a, a reason to actually, okay, maybe we need to have an unplanned deload and shift training around as necessary because the workouts aren't even, they're not doing anything. It's just a waste of time. Um, so quality of sleep, desire to train, um, total hours of sleep. Another one I look at is resting heart rate. And this can be as easy as using a fitness tracker, the ones that actually get true resting heart rate during sleep, or even as simple as when you wake up, just sit in bed and palpate it. Or if maybe you just got out of bed and you're going to the bathroom and you're just sitting there and, okay, now I'm going to palpate it there. As long as you're consistent and you haven't had anything, any stimulant like half coffee or something along those lines, you'll still get a good measure because that's telling us how our body is responding to the training stimulus and the accumulation of all of our training stimuli. Um, there, there's a classic example in the monitoring world from um, Dr. William Sands uh, in his book, um, um, the where is it? There are principles of and practice of resistance training um, with Doc and Meg Stone. He had a, a graph that showed body weight. It was an Olympic gymnast. Body weight was trending down, and then it continued to trend down. But for the same given time period, resting heart rate trended down as well. And then I think it was 19 or 21 days in, it shifted upward. And as it shifted upward, you see this declining body weight and this increase in resting heart rate. It's telling us that the body is trying to fix something. We don't know what, and it really doesn't matter because we're just seeing the like net result of what's happening. But it was trying to fix something, and it didn't. And it was, I believe, three weeks or so later that individual had a career-ending injury. Wow. It was done. And it's an N of one, but we're always working with N of one. Like we're working with the client, we're working with ourselves. We're, it, it's always the single individual because everybody responds differently. So you look at the heart rate, you look at the desire to train, sleep, quality and quantity. Another one I like to ask is helplessness. And people, generally speaking, always ask, well, what is helplessness? Once, once you're there, you'll know. Because it's just that feeling of, I can't do anything. I can't dig myself out of the hole. And as soon as that starts to spike, it, it really is truly meaningful. And that's kind of the underlying key with any subjective monitoring like this is that you have to have, there has to be meaning to it. I've collected data for years and it doesn't always come out that it's like telling me everything all the time, but it eventually does tell you something. There was an individual I had, they um, showed increasing resting heart rate, increasing helplessness, um, sleep quality and quantity were going down. Uh, and at that, once I kind of saw that, and I saw it over time, you know, it's not like we see everything go up one day and then, okay, now we're going to intervene. No, it's, this was increasing over the course of three days, five days a week. All right, now let's go talk to the coach, say something might be going on. Let's have a conversation. Did it have the conversation? 
figured out that something was happening and were able to get that person the help that they needed. And so it's, you know, it's not a magic bullet, but it at least educates us. You know, in, in today's online world, people are really happy to say whatever they want on message boards. And, you know, when there's no face to face risk. <laughs> and the same goes for the questionnaires. People are willing to talk to the questionnaire but then that facilitates the face-to-face -face conversation to get the true help. You know, it's not, it's, it's not a um, prescriptive in nature. It's not telling you what to do. It's telling you that there might be something there. And there's other questions that you can get to, but in all reality, it's whatever takes less than a minute um, is beneficial. You know, sickness is another good one that I like to ask. And then if you're feeling sore or if you're in pain, you get those six, seven questions you're golden. You'll be able to do a lot and actually understand that person over time and help them maybe even before they need help. No, I really like that. And some of the, the motivation to train and um, helplessness isn't one I've necessarily come across much, I guess, is because it's like, if you've been there, you'll know. And I'm kind of scratching my head. I was like, have I been helpless? I'm not sure. Probably in contest prep. There's probably times in which I felt helpless. Um, right. Just when you're just, I guess, in that in a really bad place. With uh, really interesting with the resting heart rate, I've definitely noticed I don't track it myself like as a thing that I'm monitoring all the time, but I do have a Fitbit and it's on my wrist and I sometimes see obviously dieting, it tends to decrease. And sometimes when I'm in like overreaching phases, I see it goes up like a couple of beats. Is that, mm -hmm. is it kind of showing you stress? Is that what you're kind of using it to kind of give some indications of? Absolutely. Um, you know, you see a decrease in resting heart rate. That's and it's a sign of improved fitness. You know, if in, when you're in a diet diet phase and it's decreasing, there's less body weight there. There's less stuff that the blood has to like, like support, right? That the heart has to support, and so it's much easier to get the flow to where it's needed, and so it doesn't have to pump as hard. Whereas when you're in that overreaching phase, you know, you, you have um, a, a litany of things that are telling the heart what's going on. You have increased accumulation of metabolites. You have psychological stress, especially if you're in an overreaching phase and you're dieting at the same time. Um, then you're really, you have um, a reduction in ATP supply and stored glycogen. And then it forces the heart to have to pump harder and faster because you're breaking down more stuff. And you don't have the things necessarily anyway, have the things present to be able to fix it. And so it's a really good sign that, you know, something, there is some sort of stress going on. Um, but if it's one or two beats above, it might be excessive. It might not. One of the things I like to look at with the individualized um, part of my, like the way I look at monitoring is look at a normal period of time like you get you're in the middle of a maintenance phase things are just yep, that's just what it is now let's really look at all those metrics and see what is normal there's no it shouldn't be any excessive stress like you also have to factor in okay what's my life going right. on um and that's your baseline and then with that and you take it for a week you take that information. I like to use standard deviation. Some people like to use Z score. Some people like to use percent change. Um, it doesn't really matter, but I'll take that, get an average and one and a half standard deviations plus minus that average. So now I have this range of what I consider to be normal. You know, it's based on the bell curve. You know, we're talking one and a half standard deviations above and below. Anything in here is normal. Now, as soon as we go over time, we might be able to allow ourselves three, four beats per minute deviation. But as soon as we start seeing 
a couple beats above, like one above, it's interesting. And then it drops back down. Okay, cool. Wasn't really anything. And then we start to see these accumulate above our normal range. Then we start to know that those are different. And it's probably what we call a, a special cause change that then that warrants attention. And if you see that in heart rate, and then you see body weight, and then you see sleep, everything's changing. And it all makes sense. Like everything's changing in a negative way. Well, now it's really time to, to intervene. Um, is one of the things that I've noticed, I've, I've done monitoring for Texas A&M football, like American football, uh, multiple collegiate teams, is that people like to make decisions really quickly, like a knee-jerk reaction almost, when that's not really the case. Like Humans inher are inherently variable. We have to appreciate that variability and then stick with the plan until we know that the plan is not working. Yeah. And that's why you have to be so careful with the way things are going, you know, and on top of that, you have to know the plan. Like, just like you can't see somebody's YouTube video on training and then all of a sudden make judgments on that their training is terrible. That's a snapshot of a day. Like that might be that they're supposed to have an easy day. Maybe they're supposed to be brutalizing themselves. Like you never know. And if you're supposed to be going hard and it's supposed to be brutal and all of these things are showing in the red, guess what? You planned it right. You planned that overreaching phase well. Now let's deload, get everything back to normal, and then hit it again to allow that stimulus recovery and adaptation. Excellent. Yeah, I really like that in terms of uh, are we seeing something that's expected with the context of what's going on? Uh, so that that's really, really powerful, I think. Um, and in terms of, obviously, you talked about heart rate. What uh, resting heart rate? What about heart rate variability? This is always one that kind of I think some people find some great value in it. Other people are unsure of it. Have you utilized this at all? And if maybe specifically afterwards going to like body composition, whether or not it's worth to people who are just more so just trying to gain fat, uh, gain fat, gain muscle, lose fat. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of HRV. Um, I see the premise, and I do believe that eventually it can totally work. But what I th where I think we're at, like I'm, I'm a really big, what can we do as cheap as possible? Like how can I be free in everything that I'm doing? So I've worked with GPS technology, you know, three quarters of, or not three quarters, but a quarter million dollars worth of stuff. And we're able to tell a lot of the same information just using the questionnaires and things like session RPE, the zero to 10 scale of your workout and multiply that by duration. Now you have this acute, like um, arbitrary unit value for how hard how much work you did and so with hrv the biggest problem i have with it is that it uh, it requires a lot of consistency in order to get high quality numbers um and not only that if you say you have a um like you're supposed to get the um collect the data ideally i believe it's while you're sleeping and in a totally rested state some places may be bring bringing in people and having them sit in a dark room for 15 minutes and then trying to get their HRV. Well, that's not going to tell you anything. And so, okay, now I have, maybe I have a fitness tracker or something that's actually telling me HRV. And then it is proven to be valid and reliable. Like it's major, truly measuring HRV and it's doing it right every single day. I don't know of anything like that that exists right now. But if it's out there, great. And if it's out there, it does that and it provides more powerful information than the things that we can get free, then it truly becomes more meaningful. 
But if what we're gathering from simple questionnaires and training load volume, like through session RPE training load and heart rate and body weight, if it's more powerful than that or a single one of those, it warrants replacement. But until it becomes that, for me anyway, it's still not 100% worth it because I don't think I don't think it adds a lot. It adds something. There's no doubt about that. And if your fitness watch or whatever it may be already does that and you trust it, great. But just be mindful that then when that screen shows up and it's red, that's not necessarily bad. It doesn't know the context of your training. It doesn't know that, oh, I should be in the red. That's up to you. And some people, if they see red and they think, oh, I'm going to back off. Now it's time for a recovery day. Well, no, you're supposed to be training hard. Like that's not the way it is. Like the technology hasn't caught up to actual practical implementation, like what the practitioners are truly doing and what they need to get out of their programming. And so for me, that's where I stand on it. I think there's a lot of potential um, and that, you know, HRV in itself is um, ha has great potential use. But we need the, the technology needs to match what the practitioners actually need and the reality of training and exercise and being an athlete. Yeah, I really like the perspective of kind of it's kind of similar to many people's views. And at least I probably reflect your views on like supplementation. There may be some supplements where we've got small amounts of data. They might be doing something helpful, but we're not sure about it yet and it's kind of not that that matches exactly how you're describing here but it's a similar thing like creatine caffeine these things do tons for us let's focus on these and focus on other elements that provide us a lot of value like de-stressing and making sure we get our sleep and that sort of thing that's free to us um, and then maybe in future if more information comes out that like hrv or some of these newer supplements coming out are really that powerful then maybe we can use them but um, certainly what you talked about there the the lack of context i've certainly heard people kind of talking about kind of seeing the red and then taking like a rest day and like it's like you said it, it you require context of whether or not that's appropriate and also like you said as well whether or not it's valid uh if they're not providing you like you might feel great and then you look at it and now you're like oh now i feel awful um it reminds me of kind of some of the sleep trackers that are available some of those again you can feel well rested and that's all you need to know you don't need to then see that the it's confirmed i guess the the trick there is you talked about objective data which is what hrv is trying to provide but maybe it is an objective um and i don't know if you want to talk deeper on that actually in terms of maybe objective but also you talked about kind of the priority of like validity and reliability and you talked and you had that kind of dartboard analogy which i thought was fantastic i don't know if you want to talk through that yeah for sure um the, the validity and re, the reliability of our the technology that we're using is, above all else, the most important thing that we have to consider. Um, and the, it's a, a fantastic dartboard analogy. Is like when I'm playing darts, um, I'm if I aim for let's say I aim for triple twenty, and I aim and I hit triple twenty once, I'm valid. I aimed and hit what I was looking for. And then the next time I throw it, I'm aiming for triple 20 and then I hit whatever is like as far away from that as possible, like the wall behind me or something like that. You know, I am not reliable. I am not consistently doing it. And then maybe the next one, yeah, I hit triple 20. Two out of three is, you know, darts hit the back wall and somebody behind me, but <laughs> it's still not that great. Whereas if I'm aiming for triple 20 and I'm consistently hitting triple 20, I'm reliable and I'm valid. 
I'm measuring what I'm supposed to be measuring and I'm measuring it all the time. Now you can have something that maybe I'm aiming for triple 20 and I'm hitting whatever is over on this side of the dartboard or the triple, whatever it may be aiming for triple 20, but I'm hitting this, but I'm doing it consistently. I'm always hitting it. Well, I have no validity, but I'm reliable for some things that might be beneficial. Maybe as long as you're, you know, consistently tracking it and you see change, maybe it's not actually showing you what it is. We hope that at least, you know, I'm aiming for the single one or whatever it may be, and it's an actual number. But the risk with these trackers is that, let's say, you know, um, heart rate's a really easy one. Let's say that I'm getting heart rate and it's, you know, my actual heart rate, my real one is 120 and it's coming back 118, 115, you know, something along those lines. It's pretty, pretty darn close. Maybe it's 119, 20, 21, something along those lines. Well, maybe instead of heart rate that it's reading, maybe it's um, for some crazy reason, maybe it's reading, I don't know, EMG, just something that makes absolutely no sense. But that might be what's happening. Like not that it's actually measuring EMG, but just not even on the spectrum of what it's actually intending to measure. It's just measuring something wrong. Is the likelihood of that actually happening high? Probably not. Like nobody's going to release technology anymore that actually isn't measuring at least kind of what it's supposed to be. But the reliability of it might be in question. A great example with heart rate is the fitness tractors, trackers. Um, I believe is the first generation Apple Watch was compared to a Fitbit and then maybe a Garmin, something along those lines. Um, the Fitbit was awful. And it was when they first came out with that under the face, um, LED, that light, that LED that was measuring heart rate. And what ended up happening was that if you're just standing still, it's fine. But as soon as you start moving, it moves. The watch moves and it loses its connection. And so I think it was the Apple Watch was pretty good. Um, I think it was Garmin was the other one was awesome. The Fitbit was just not like it wasn't even measuring anything like anything close to reality. It was measuring heart rate, but it was off. It's gotten better in time, um, but it is a potential risk. You know, a lot of the um, the questionnaires, the subjective stuff um, is subjected to um, criticism in that. Well, how do you know? Well, Personally, for me, I've seen legitimate meaningfulness in these kinds of measures. Like I have my own practical coach-based um, validity and reliability that I've done and I've seen. I have the benefit of actually like tracking this data over time. I use my same protocols. I ensure that the data that I'm getting is correct because that's the other side of it. It's like your technology can be awesome, but – if you're not consistently doing your your collection mechanism, um, things like session RPE, like how hard was your training session? If you're doing it and you're asking an individual and, you know, in a team atmosphere, everybody else around could potentially hear them, they might be swayed. Um, whereas if you're asking them individually, you know, pull them off to a side, have them point to the number, don't even say it, being discreet, you're probably much more likely to get a real answer. Um, so what all goes into it is, is your tracking, um, your data collection methods, are they good? Are you doing everything at least consistently? Is the piece of tech or whatever you're doing, is that actually measuring what it's supposed to be measuring? And is it right? And if it, all that is, then you can at least, the information that you see 
from that, you can be confident that it's accurate. And that's what it all comes down to. Because the last thing you want is to see something, believe it's right, and it actually being wrong. Like no information is always better than bad information. And bad information can lead you down. You might get lucky in that you make a decision that just happens to like get you there. But you're not going to be able to repeat that. Like data collection and athlete monitoring is about developing the ability to repeat what we're doing and get the same results day in and day out and the results that we want to get. And you can't do that if you don't have your good methods, the way you're collecting it, and you don't have good technology. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And actually, it really, it was making my mind think about all the other ways of which the things that you're tracking, potentially, you want to make them as valid and reliable as possible. So you talked about weighing in, you're like, first thing in the morning, before eating, drinking, same clothing or no clothing, you've got to keep that kind of consistent, even down to the point of which you said, even if you're eating at different times, that can impact these other measures. And it made me think about like people who eat meal plans for, for contest prep athletes. I kind of get them towards a meal plan towards the end so we can have it very obvious, like keep everything in a vacuum as much as possible. And there's so many different variables like eating out, calories can be off. So I really like that discussion. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a fun one for me anyway <laughs> and then it's the challenge also i guess you have it with um some of your clients if they're tracking macros individually it's kind of how well adept are they at doing that do they are they tracking a banana as the grams of the banana and weighing that out if you need them that de level of detail or are they just putting in any old banana and they could be 100 grams 50 grams or whatever it might be and that's the challenge i guess is to make things as valid and reliable as possible yep the it's interesting you mentioned that with um with clients and one thing that I'll do is sometimes you'll find out, you know, especially early on, they were just not measuring things right. It was just way off. Like instead of like grams of protein, it was great. Like the weight yeah, of the yeah. food <laughs> or something like that. Right. And what I've kind of come to just be settled with is that as long as they're doing it consistently and if I make a change, and they make the same change that I'm asking them to make, it's not valid, but at least it's reliable. Like let's say I program 1,700 calories and they're actually consuming 2,200. And we see that they're just body weight stabilizing or may, and they're cutting and then maybe it, maybe it increases a little bit. And I do a 350 calorie cut and now they're consuming, you know, I'm thinking that, oh my goodness, they're at 1,350, but in all reality, they're at mm -hmm. 1,950. And now they're starting to lose their weight. Does it warrant a discussion? It's like, hey, yeah, you're wrong. Eh, maybe, but they're getting the they're getting what they actually want. You know, from, aside from attaining pictures of what's actually like they're consuming every single meal and seeing the weight of it all. It's one of those things where like it's a good scenario of where they're not really valid, but they're reliable. So we still got the objective done. Yeah, I really like that. I've I've had similar experiences where I, I look uncomfortable at maybe even it's like sometimes it's the amount of calories someone has to eat to gain weight. And I'm like, I'm not really sure they're eating all that. But if if they at least eat more when I put on 100 calories more, then great. Like that's going to help them get to their goal. So uh, yeah, the kind of the reliability element of things can really help make up for a lot of kind of inconsistency in the valid validity of them. So I really like that. And something I do want to touch on is um kind of 
data in itself is really great. Is there ever a time you're kind of, I don't know if you've had it with clients where you've drawn back away from having so much data? Um, is more data always better? No, it's not. More data is not always better. Um, I've actually pulled back a lot on how much I push it and how much I collect. Um, cause really what ends up happening is people get fatigued just from giving the information. That's where the, the fitness stuff is really nice in that you don't have to think about it. It's just there and you get it. But as I've already talked about, it's like, it's not, it's not everything. It's not enough to really even make a good decision on if a change is necessary or if things are going the way they should be. Um, so I like to keep things incredibly simple. Like I said, like less than one minute on a questionnaire. That's it. Like nothing more. Body weight, as easy as you can do it um, and as consistently as you can. And then um, for me anyway, I like to look at training volume, that session RPE times time. Um, and that tells the story that I'm looking for. Um, when I was at Texas A&M, we had the GPS, like catapult GPS devices. And we had, they give 250 variables across an Excel spreadsheet of data that you can do whatever you want with and see whatever's going on. Um, and we could break it down into every period of practice. What game were they playing? What drill were they playing for each individual? You're looking at an absurd amount of data. We also had our session RPE. We had heart rate stuff was embedded into that 250. Um, and then for uh, a group, another group of the players, we also had um, subjective measures. Well, when you look at all of that information, Honestly, what we really focused on was how hard are they working from a subjective and objective measure? What's the perceived like fatigue, exertion, that kind of stuff? And how fast were they going? That was about it. Like change of direction was pretty useful, but we had all of this crazy information and we narrowed it down to, I think, 11, 12 different things. We had a little dashboard of graphs. That was it. It's all we needed. And that's really the key is what's going to tell you the most information for the least amount of time spent. You know, back to HRV, if you could have to have somebody come in and they have to do 15 minutes laying down every single day to get HRV variables, that's not exactly like effective. That doesn't work. That's not sustainable. So whatever you can do that's sustainable is the best. And in all honesty, less is totally more. Um, I like to look at it from a subjective and objective standpoint. Um, there's also um, internal and external load, like how hard did your body work to do whatever you just did. Um, heart rate can get you that kind of stuff, but so can like perceived effort, especially if you're looking at physique. If you know how hard I thought I worked and then the total kilos of how much weight you actually moved, you can track that over time, just two different things and see, oh, okay, I'm improving. I think that I'm working less and I'm still doing actually more in the weight room. Like that's a positive improvement. And so that's the internal and external workload. Whereas other way, you know, you look at it the other way, if I perceive it as harder and I'm doing less, well, now I got a problem. Um, or at least if I'm doing it consistently. So we have internal and external, but also the subjective and objective, like the perceptions, the um, how are you feeling, you know, the things that you get from having a conversation with somebody, as well as the objective measures. Because when they're both saying the same thing, that says a lot for sure. But when they're not, 
it also says a lot because they might be working really hard on the field and they're just performing really, really well, or maybe they're working really hard in the weight room, they're getting their loads done, but then the perceptions, everything is just going down the tank. And maybe you see it's going down the tank early. Like maybe it's been going down for a week. Maybe for that individual, something bad happened in their life and they're able to go to the weight room because that's their happy place. But you can't sustain that. Like eventually help has to be found through other long-term means. Like the weight room is fantastic for that. Don't get me wrong, but it's not the only thing. And it, but if you're tracking it and you see it happening a week in advance, now you can have early intervention strategies and to actually help that person before things get really bad, get them the help that they're looking for, whatever it may be. Even if it's they just had a kid and they're super tired. Okay, now let's, what can we do? What's part of your day that we can change to help make it so you're, you're less tired going into your tr training or whatever it may be? And that's the thing is like we can do early intervention with it. You just have to make sure that you're actually getting the right pieces of information. And it doesn't take a lot to be able to do that. I think that's great because it, it highlights the kind of the need almost to have an open conversation and discussion with your clients and not just rely on the X's and the O's within the spreadsheet. Whilst that is objective, the subjective and the context, like you said, kind of imagine if someone's had awful sleep one week, but their training performance looks fantastic. You probably don't want to push it the next week because their sleep's been awful this week and they're probably going to kind of be in a really bad place. So I think that's really valuable that people need to take everything into context and take everything into consideration. Is there anything uh, in terms of like Fitbits or gadgets or new things coming out? I know Whoop is something that's kind of um, becoming more popular. Is there anything out there that you've got your eyes on and you're kind of thinking whether or not that could potentially be something useful or are you kind of thinking there's not anything for a while? Um. I do keep my eye on the whoop. Um, we actually got one when we were at A&M. This was in 2014. And there was a lot of pr a promise. Like initially we thought this thing could be really, really good. Um, but the, the, the recommendations that were being made weren't necessarily based on the individual. It was like, oh, this is just a blanket something. Okay, now it's automatically. Now it's bad. Like everybody when they hit 350 units or whatever it may be all right now or maybe their heart rate drops five beats everybody all the clients their heart rates drop five beats okay now there's a red flag warning they've shown some really good um, progress in adapting their technology to the person uh, the sleep tracker seems to work pretty well as well um, i just wish it had a watch face i mean the, come on <laughs> tell me the time the very <laughs> least. Um, other than that, it's you know anything from the established companies. I'm always confident in so people like Garmin, mm -hmm. uh, Polar, Fitbit has enhanced their tech. That's for sure. Um, Apple. Uh, I I haven't really gotten into if they're developing anything super fancy and new. I just think they're making their tech better. And that's really what we want is they might be adding new bells and whistles to it. But as long as the core components mm -hmm. are getting better, that's what's key. The one thing I really want to see that I haven't seen yet is that when these pieces of tech get the data and they give you the red flag, that's it. It's like, okay, I'm out. Choose and do whichever you want to do. Like, give me some education. Like, why might this ha have happened? You have data on me from since yeah. I put the thing on. 
what about the data is actually suggesting that you know things are actually changing you know machine learning we're getting very big advancements in machine learning and ai eventually we're going to get there but if you know what's led to it or at least you have an idea of what's led to it help me decide how to actually change it like you show me a red on a screen is it because i'm not sleeping enough is it because my body weight's too low is it because my psychological stress like what's going on like i should know myself for sure but there might be underlying things that i don't know about and maybe it's sleep maybe instead of just saying oh your sleep is low why is your sleep low maybe that you have your room too hot Maybe you're laying in bed at night, staring at your screen, watching something that doesn't put you to sleep. Maybe you have poor sleep hygiene. Okay, maybe I have poor sleep hygiene. Well, what do I do to fix that? Like, help me, educate me as a user to actually make these changes rather than showing me a red. And in my immediate choice, choices are keep training or stop. Like when I see a red, that's all I can do, right? And so, oh, well. I'm just going to back off. It says it's red and it's got to be right. So now I'm just going to back off. And so that's what I want to see in the future with the technology is help the person, legitimately help them, educate them to make better decisions that we know are actually going to result in improvements in these various factors of their lives. Um, psychological stress will be a tough one. Like It's not like it's going to be able to give social advice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there are some things that we can actually like influence that you can give that yeah. blanket statement like with sleep hygiene or your nutrition or whatever it may be um but that's where it's moving companies are enhancing their tech to make sure that it's accurate or it's valid and reliable and i think that they're actually trying to work to make sure, pe sure people are actually using them consistently um our next step is ai and machine learning like it's going to be there to help give these suggestions to say that this might be the case but at the end of the day, it's not ever, it's never going to replace the person. Like people always want to talk yeah. to somebody that they think is a human. And I, I know that we're going to be able to make, be more confident in the decisions that we make in the future, especially with the advent of um, artificial intelligence. Um, but it's only going to support us. You know, we started the podcast, um, I forgot what you had mentioned, but it reminded me of when I was doing my um, PhD dissertation defense. Um, uh, one of the, um, people in the audience asked me like, well, what if a coach doesn't like it or something along those lines? Um, or what if they say, oh, you're trying to tell me what to do yeah. as a coach. I likened it to a painter. I know nothing about art. I could be totally wrong, but it made sense in my head at the time in that if I'm an artist and I'm, I'm, I'm a painter, uh, you know, a part of me wants to be an artist. I want to be able to express myself. But I can't express myself indefinitely if I'm not making money. Now, if I, I can be go out on a whim and say, you know what, hopefully somebody's going to take in my to buy my stuff, or I can use data from the market trends and the expectations and what's selling and still at least tailor my paintings to what can actually make me money so that I can at least live and so that I'm not a starving artist. So we maintain the integrity of the coach, of who we are as individuals, but we use the information we're given to be able to paint the picture that we're trying to paint.
Love it. Yeah, I really like that. Uh, a lot of the things you were talking about with the kind of feedback from these devices, I was like, this sounds like what coaches do. Um, but you're right in that it is, it's almost doing what a coach does and tracking all these things inherently for you. And it's not giving you any useful necessarily information back. So um, yeah, I, I can't wait for that sort of thing to come around. And like you said, I think it's only going to enhance a coach's ability to be even better at their job and get even better insights because uh, a lot of the time it just tracks elements very succinctly and nicely so you just presents the information very clearly so um i love that and uh, i want to say a massive thank you to you jake for coming on uh, if people want to learn more about the work you're doing or uh, kind of find out more about yourself where should they reach out um i don't use social media <laughs> i'm on it i just don't post on it i've got clients i'm a professor at the university of northern iowa family uh, you know i do my own training um so i honestly i prefer the personal like one-to-one like send me an email my email is jacob.read at uni.edu just email me and ask me i will answer and get back to you and that's you know i i prefer that because i think a lot can be lost when you get into um you know the the realm of social media and that kind of stuff and if, if I have the time to devote to do it well, I'll do it, but I don't. But I do have the time to devote to a single conversation with a person, and I'm really happy to do that. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, thank you so much for coming on. I know this is going to go down incredibly well, so uh, I know everyone will appreciate you coming on and doing this. And I guess if people want to look at coaching from you, they can check over uh, Renaissance Periodization and any of mm -hmm. your deeper discussions on the topics we talked about today are on rp plus as well so um thank you again jake and thank you everyone for listening thank you